Welcome back. Welcome in. Still Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, have you heard the big news about the football program? Uh, they're starting football tomorrow? No, we've hired you? Chip West finally. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Oh, God. I can't believe they got you started on that, and you are you're diving headfirst into that, aren't you? I mean, it's not going to be too hard to do. The hardest thing was probably the depth chart, and I tried and tried and tried to get around that by having somebody find a link for me, and I couldn't do it. So just sat down a little bit here, a little bit there, and piece it together. The rest is going to be pretty much, uh, I don't know, press X, and then it takes care of itself and go from there. But if you haven't noticed, and you're on the VIP side of our, of our board, uh, of our website, we're going to simulate the 2013 season at West Virginia on the NCAA 14 platform. And we've already started by hiring our coach, the famed Chip West. And if you hear that name, you're laughing because you know. And if you don't know, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just too good of an inside joke to let you in on at this point. And picked out our philosophies on offense and defense. And now we're going to get to who we're going to play. And then we're just going to simulate the games and see what happens and try to address injuries and our depth chart and try to get through and see if we can do better than four and eight kind of like our chances there. What do you think? I would hope so. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how the quarterback situation works out for you in this simulation. Cause since obviously that was, I would say the biggest issue with that team that year, that four and eight squad, um, who is the uh, fake John Smith that's masquerading as a not yet ready Clint Trickett or a, hurt and not yet ready for Childress. It's really interesting. Uh, no trick in the game. Mm. So he doesn't even factor into this. You basically have who we believe to be Paul Millard. He's in the middle. Your projected starter is for Childress. Millard's in the middle. And then Shavis Rollins is your third string guy. <laughs> and Rollins <laughs> is as fast and as agile as pretty much any of the receivers in the roster. But it's kind of a weird thing. This is kind of the fun of the exercise initially is everybody sees the depth chart and knows who they have. And all right, let's pick a way to run offense here or run defense. But we're talking about that quarterback position and everybody opted for air raid because Childress, um, presumably his peck will stay attached and, and he can throw it around and have this kind of pass happy offense. But I was wondering how many people might opt for a little bit of a retro 2005 ish, 2006 ish, 2007-ish kind of West Virginia offense with Rollins running a spread option did not get a lot of traction there. So we have we have completely fast-forwarded into the modern era of football, even as we re rewind it uh, so many years ago, too. But very surprised by that. And uh, also went to a 4-2-5 on defense, completely cleanse the 3-3-5 in our system, too. <laughs> that fits exactly with how I would expect our message board to pick it because the 3-3-5 doesn't fly very often on the board i am yeah i guess you have to go one way or the other on the offense though with, with childress because childress and rollins are such drastically different players even as recruits coming out of high school before uh whatever happened or did not happen once they got to college because uh, rollins i mean he ended up playing wide receiver went to duquesne and played wide receiver there got moved to wide receiver at west virginia before he left so it's not a surprise but i could see him being successful in that type of 2005 spread offense I don't want to pick on the gigs. It's not his fault. But has there been more of a head-scratching recruit in, I don't know, like this in the Chris Anderson era? 
where um, you're just thinking, oh, wow, how did this happen? Why did this happen? No, I don't think so. I mean, I was, I know, I, I know I've told this story a, a few times on the board. I don't know if I've said it on here before, but uh, I was there at a camp when he was there. He was already committed, and there were a handful of uh, quarterbacks there. Only one other one, uh, Wilton Spate, who was a year younger, ended up going to signing with Michigan and went from Michigan to transfer to UCLA. He was a part-time starter at both schools. Didn't really pan out. Um, but Spate was amazing. It, he was still, to this day, the best quarterback performance I've seen at a West Virginia camp in the last decade. Uh, we're talking a handful of camps every summer for the last 10 summers, so 50-some camps, uh, however many quarterbacks you see at each one of those camps. So he was the best one, and he never got an offer, never got a call back after that from West Virginia. Uh, I don't know why. While meanwhile, Rollins was, um, I mean, he was as fast and athletic as anybody I'd, I'd seen there, especially at the quarterback position, but he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. He couldn't, they were doing drills where they're trying to throw over, over um, an obstacle and into the net, kind of trying to drop it in. And I think he went over 10, like twice in a row, two or three different spots. Uh, it, it was painful to watch. And I remember coming out of that wondering, I don't, are they switching offenses? How's this going to work? Is he going to be recruited as a receiver? And they just kind of went forward with him at quarterback and, and, and kept on going. They were really trying to change it back then. I can remember thinking at the time when they signed the kid, um, boy, this is going to be different. And, and with Spavadol's encouragement, Holgerson kind of thought, you know what, we got to have a guy who's more mobile and who can wiggle here, maybe can break a play. Coincidence or not, Manziel won the Heisman in 2012. And a year later, Rollins is on campus. I'm not saying I thought Rollins is going to be Manziel, but, um, man, that would be an interesting thought exercise at the time. Like, man, how do we get a more modern version of the quarterback? And is it a guy who's a little bit more slippery? And maybe he isn't as strong-armed, and maybe he isn't as accurate. But he's not going to get trapped in between the tackles or he's not going to have to throw out of bounds. He can make something happen with his feet. If he gives you, I don't know, three to five more plays a game. It's a pretty interesting trade off there too, but no love in our virtual franchise here either. (laughs) Just kind of like, uh, and you know, and automatically people are looking at the situations that aren't as good in certain spots and safety is one. I'm wondering if we're going to have a conversation about moving Rollins to safety. (laughs) because <laughs> they're both fr- they're both freshmen of uh, Childress is a redshirt freshman Rollins is a true freshman so perhaps he takes his talent somewhere else into the defensive backfield and he's picking off passes instead of throwing interceptions but uh, that's a whole nother conversation that I don't want to bore people with here but if you want to participate easy to find it on there everything is up and running the people's program as we call it because everything is going to be groupthink consensus decisions which leads into some interesting topics that we'll get into some important dates coming up with football returning with the NCAA and then the SEC and I mentioned the Big 12 but as far as who is going to be back with the team when the Mountaineers are back on campus some interesting sudden unexpected dare I say surprising developments in the past 96 hours yeah a lot of people coming out and saying moving forward uh, not just at the college level but a lot of states saying beginning you know, first week of June, they're opening things back up for pro sports. You know, no no fans, but New York, California, Texas, all coming out saying the same thing. Colleges coming out and saying they're moving forward. 
and our very own Gordon Gee, front and center, Paul Feinbaum, ESPN, Sports Center, everywhere. Did you think that he would be like the face of this, of this movement, of this push to, I mean, get back to football? I think a lot of us expected Gordon Gee to say something <laughs> at some point. Um, I want to dig in on this because I have some opinions, but let's let's even like slip something in between here because more players have also joined the conversation at WVU with two players deciding they're going to transfer. So we had heard only a little bit about minor connections that kind of took some digging to try to find out. But we'll get back to return to play miles. But when people do return to play, they're going to have an extra defensive back and an extra, I guess we would say, edge player. Tell us about Scotty Young and Bryce Brand. Well, Scotty Young's connection, obviously, is with uh, Jamil Adai from Adai's time at Arizona. And Adai not only recruited him out of high school, but coached him that first year in Tucson. And he he started out as a free safety. And all reports, you know, talking to our guy Jason Shear over there at our Arizona sister site and a couple other people, is that, you know, my first thought was, hey, if he's a free safety, maybe he can kind of slide over to cornerback a la Josh Norwood, because you know, there is some need for cornerback depth and experience on this team. But I'm told it's pretty much the exact opposite, that he is more of a down-in-the-box type of player. Um, similar, he played the bandit safety spot, came up in the box. And so I'm kind of curious where he fits on this team. But the more I think about it, the more I kind of like it, especially in conjunction with the addition of Bryce Brand, because he's similar. He's a, a former inside linebacker that is built like you would think. If you if I told you to imagine the perfect inside linebacker, he probably is what you come up with. He's a little bit shorter, a little bit stockier, as strong as can be, loves contact, can can make some big hits, but he's kind of moved outside. He's lifts, listed himself on his own Twitter uh, for whatever it's worth as outside linebacker at West Virginia. Um, he lined up as kind of a defensive end in some pass rush situations for Maryland too. So he's all over the field too. And, but that that's, that's both of them. They're both versatile. Neither of them really has a true position and neither of them really fit a, a specific, you know, starting need, I think for this defense is what kind of caught me off guard. Cause when you talk grad transfers, you're typically pinpointing an exact spot that the team needs, for instance, <clears throat> offensive tackle, which we've discussed before and we've seen them target. These guys are more versatile all over the defense kind of defenders that can fill a lot of gaps. And and you need that, especially in the Big 12. You, you're coming in with different packages. We've seen Vic Koning go with um, at that bandit spot, have a, a, a safety there, have a linebacker there, defensive end type guy there. So you see him kind of go all over the place depending on the matchup and the package that he wants to put in. So it it the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Are you saying that Bryce needs a brand consultant? Oh god. Oh god. Uh, yes, but not you. No. Let's stick with that. Let's start with brand. There's no way he's a defensive end, right? No. At 5'11, okay. no way. Okay. Uh, does put his hand on the ground and he lists himself as as you said, middle linebacker, correct? Or inside linebacker? Outside linebacker. He calls right. himself West Virginia outside linebacker. So that makes him Spear or Will. 
he looks to me like he could play bandit. You're talking about how he is kind of engineered to be a middle linebacker. Perhaps he just doesn't know yet. Perhaps the vernacular is still a little bit unusual to him because we think bandit, it's more of like an outside linebacker conceptually. Uh, technically, it's actually more of an inside linebacker, but he just screams bandit, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. I think he's not familiar with, with like you said, the vernacular because he played a position in Maryland that is very similar. It's called the Jack. And I reached out to our Maryland guys to ask about that position. And I was told it's, it's very similar to um, the bandit. It's a, a defensive end outside linebacker hybrid whose main focus is trying to get in the backfield and rush the passer. That sounds an awful lot like somebody who can kind of shine in the bandit spot. His brother's an interesting player too. I don't know if you remember him. He was when the year that they lost everybody at Maryland to playing quarterback. Um, he was, literally the fifth person to start a game that year i believe he was fifth in the depth chart he ended up starting a game um but ended up going from air force to a junior college to maryland and then i think he just kind of walked away from the game um but also this brand is kind of well traveled too from michigan but played high school football in florida and also california i, I guess it's cool that he has a whole bunch of different flavors on his palate at this point well, yeah, and now, man, hold on. I got distracted because I went to go look up Bryce's brother, and it accidentally pulled up an old CBS Sports photo of Bryce, and it was taken by me. And now I'm now my mind is blown because he was apparently at a WVU camp, and it is news to me, or is it? Um, sorry, that really threw me off there. Um, man, yeah, he is, he's been well-traveled, I think, we noted. We, I don't know if you saw um, Scotty Young noting that hey, we finally get to play together. When he saw that Bryce Brand announced his commitment, uh, both of them are actually from California. Granted, eight hours away from each other, but they both played in the charter school system, so they did go head to head on the field a couple times before Brand transferred to IMG Academy. Well, Bryce Brand was committed to the same recruiting class too. Ah, yes. I did not. Oh, that's right. He was at going to go to Arizona before he flipped to Maryland. Huh. I just want to savor this moment. I knew something about recruiting that you didn't know. Yeah, that's big. See, this is what happens when I get, I start I start looking at my computer while you're talking and I just get lost and now I'm never going to live that down. Hold on, just deep breath here for a second. <laughs> uh, okay, back to uh, business here. The conversations that Brown has had about what he'll do with his open scholarships, two, possibly three. Um, the first one was always offensive tackle. The second one was like, eh, defensive line, you know, interior or would be a good idea. And then back end of the secondary. Um, Brand is technically none of the above. He's going to be a linebacker. It sounds like probably more of an edge player. So perhaps that's suiting the defensive line. And, and you know, th- although they do seem like they're okay, but like with the edge rushing, and he's not going to be defensive line, but. You put him at Bandit, that does kind of help with the pass rush at times if he's that type of player. Um, we'll get to offensive line. It seems that Young is kind of a, a good candidate for the veteran presence, someone who's been through it. Um, he's got two years to play one season, so he's grown up fast in the game. And based on your conversation with him, he doesn't care about any of the bells and whistles that come with the program or the recruiting process. He just wants to play and help and fit in and do his job. Um, that does seem, wherever he lands, to – check that box for West Virginia and the search this off season. Yeah. I found his comments very interesting. You and I, you and I spoke before I had my conversation with young and, and we were kind of 
fascinated by the idea of him really being the first commit that never got to visit campus, never been to Morgantown, never seen it. Um, and when I reached out to him, I, I asked him about that. I said, you know, what was it like? How did they treat you with these virtual visits? And he was very blunt about it. Like, uh, not much. Sent me a link with a couple photos. That was about it. And I was like, oh, really? And he said he didn't really care. They wanted to. They had ideas for him to set up some of these things, but none of that stuff mattered. He said it didn't matter that about how big the weight room was or how nice the facilities were or how many people come in the stadium. His goal was on finding a coaching staff that he had, could build a relationship with and a coaching staff and a program that could help get him ready for the next level. And he saw that in West Virginia and his connection with Coach Adai. And like you said, it seems like the type of mentality that this staff is looking for to add to this this defense as it stands now. What do you think it says about Adai? Because the first thing that Young told you was that Dai basically said, hey, why wasn't I on your list of people to call right away? Um, and then I'm imagining that whatever time had elapsed between that conversation and the last time they were together um, quickly vanished and became just like they were old friends again. But a Dai can get someone like that to jump really fast. It does seem like that he has a connection with everybody he coaches and recruits too, but this is kind of a unique thing. And he's like a Pied Piper all of a sudden who can make someone make this leap across the country with virtually no glimpse or no experience of the campus. Yeah. And this is something he's been working on and been uh, trying that connection out West. He's tried to keep up. I, I don't know if you remember or if our listeners remember, but last summer, several players from Las Vegas, Nevada, made the long trip up to Morgantown to come to camp. And I ran into, um, I, I spoke with them. I tried to figure out how did that work out? How did you end up here? And it was because a former player, a fullback, not even somebody that a die had coached at, at Arizona was now a high school coach in Las Vegas. And a die had just kept up with him, stayed tight with him, always talking to him. And that got him um, a, commit i believe from the nevada area when when adai was still at minnesota and then had these guys coming from out west all the way to morgantown to come to camp last year and he's just maintained that connection with them and that relationship with them and it's not just with these high this high school coach that used to play in arizona but the players that from arizona and and different people and Every, you know, every once in a while, you just hear it pop up of a West Coast connection with a die. Uh, a couple new offers out last month in Las Vegas. And then obviously Scotty Young from Arizona, too. Where do you think he ends up? Because at Spear, which may be his spot based on his past experience, you have Tyke Smith. You have Takori Turner. You have Naeem Muhammad. None of those guys behind Smith has really done it before. So he could really jump in there. Uh, free safety, Kerry Martin. And after him... Trying to think out loud here now. Is it Guzman? Probably. Uh, yeah. And then yeah. at Cat, Mahone, and Long. I'm trying to think of other players who are on the roster here. I'm, I'm not. I'm drawing a blank, which is probably the point. Um, but he he could rise to the level of B at any one of those spots. He might push Kerry Martin if he's really good at free. Um, no offense to Kerry Martin. It seems like he learns at an advanced rate too, so he might be able to hold on to that spot too. But those are three different spots. Cat. A little bit more aggressive and forward moving than the free safety. The free safety, obviously, very important. And the spear, kind of a hybrid position, which he's experienced with. But I guess it's good news that he could be any one of those three. The bad news is that it really has to happen fast. Not only for him, 
because of his time left on the clock, but how much time is on the clock for the team getting ready? Yeah, my immediate thought was, will he slide into one of those safety spots and one of those safeties move over to corner? Maybe I was just kind of stuck on this, you know, narrowed my focus on, on a need for help at corner with all three starters, at least from the end of the year back at safety at the three safety spots. But I mean, I, Sean Mahone started as a corner, started his career at WVU as a corner, but he, he played pretty well at cat. I don't know if they would move him mm-hmm. out of that spot with the way he played last year, led the team in tackles. Um, Kerry Martin, you know, they told him he could play corner or safety. Uh, I think he stepped on uh, campus and played corner for about a day and a half before they moved into safety. So I'm not sure he'd move back. And Tyke Smith is a, is a spear, period, like in a story. So I maybe, just maybe, he's just one of those guys that they want to bring in and make sure that he, they have a very good player that can back up several spots and push push guys to be better if they stay in front of him. I left Dante Bonamico out too. He's he's able to play any one of those three spots too, but I'm not sure that he's going to stand in the way of someone like Young um, at any one of those spots either. I'm sure if if Young is better than Bonamico at a backup spot, he'll take that position there and they'll probably move Bonamico too. But let's go to corner though because I think that I don't think he's going to play corner. I just don't know where he's going to because looking at who they have here, um, Alonzo Adai is going to play corner, correct? Well, I think it's the most recent hints we've gotten where that he might be at safety. Uh, and, That's right. and by yes. hints, I mean the somebody posting a Zoom screenshot of the uh, cornerbacks meeting on Zoom, and he was not on there and has not been on there for any of them. So presumably, I mean, I'm assuming he's still on the team. I have no reason to think otherwise. So I'm assuming that he is with the safety groups based off of that. And to be quite honest, no other intel at all. So we thought before that and had heard before that, I believe he was working with corners before that, um, that he might end up there, but maybe he's back at safety too. So who knows? Correct. I forgot about that, that he's actually not a corner. That's because that's what Alonzo, excuse me, Alonzo's cousin uh, coaches. Um, Regardless, Miller, they really like. Fortune, they really like. Mayo, they recruited to play that position. He can't go anywhere else. Um, And Okoli is definitely going to play. I don't think they're going to put Young in front of Okoli no matter what, because Okoli's the future across three, four years. Um, The names we haven't mentioned are probably the ones that may factor into where Young goes. Um, Jaido, Favoris, and Jackie Matthews. Um, Those three, some flexibility. Maybe a spare corner but maybe depth at a safety spot, or maybe they're just a nickelback in a package um, because we don't know where Favorus, Matthews, or at this point, Young are going to play. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the nickel and this packages thing because there were a lot of times last year, and a part of this was because of uh, depth issues at linebacker, at the various mm-hmm. linebacker spots, but they would trot five defensive backs out there. I believe at one point, weren't they running like a 4 one yeah. That game, that game that Noah Guzman started. Mm-hmm. Um, so Koning's not afraid of, you know, uh, yes, it's a kind of a four, three, three, four defense, but he's not going to be limited on the starting lineup or packages to that, to that lineup. Uh, so don't be surprised that they're adding extra safeties that can come in and play a bunch of different ways. At the very least, having a cornerback skill set at safety is really important in the Big 12. That was one thing that Norwood and um, Mahone used to their advantage. So if this guy is a converted corner or he has that type of skill set and he can play safety, that's not a detriment at all. Let's talk about conclusions we can draw here because both of these fellas are eligible to play in 2020, correct? Yes. A little bit of a question on – on there's some some curiosity on um, brand – um, Young is definitely a 2020, uh, like I said, one season, two years. But the initial reporting when Brand left Maryland was that he'd be a postgraduate transfer. I've heard that he's not listed as a postgraduate in the in the transfer portal. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that's accurate. But let's assume he is. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Um, there's two things we could think. The logical one here is that somebody who has signed is not going to make it, and that they're still going to add an offensive lineman if they can. Um, the concerning one is that good news, everybody who signed does make it to campus. Bad news is they struck out and they couldn't find an offensive lineman, and they couldn't wait any longer. They couldn't devote any more time or energy to recruiting an offensive lineman because they had to address other needs here too. Which one are you leaning toward? Um, I don't – man, I, I'm leaning more towards – they think they might have an extra spot and they'll still try to add an offensive lineman. I just don't think you can leave it. It's not a knock on the guys that they currently have, but just like at every position, I mean, safety, I would have never thought that they'd go try to add somebody, but it makes sense. You always want to have the the talent there if you can get it, but tackle, they literally have no one that has played any meaningful snaps at the college level. None at either tackle spot. And yeah, we think big things. uh, When I say we, I mean, 24 seven sports and the scouting department think big things about the way some of those guys can turn out. Parker Moore, we had ranked very high. I went through the top rated recruits um, on the offensive line position. And I believe six of them were in the 2019 and 2020 class and 2020 and 2021 class. So there is some talent that is already there and will be there and, I think they can be great, but do you want to roll the dice with that being the biggest question mark on your team at arguably the most important position outside of quarterback on the entire offense? Mm-hmm. I don't think you do. So I think they're still going to go for somebody, anybody that they can find that they believe and not anybody, excuse me, it's somebody <laughs> that can actually, you know, they believe can contribute. Now, obviously if they run out and say, there's nobody here that can contribute time to move on and, and go with what you got. But 
I'm not sure that well is entirely adapted because semesters are ending everywhere. There's going to be a little bit of a replenishment in the transfer portal. Um, not sure how much because of all the pandemic and everything, but I think there's going to be a few more names that pop in there that West Virginia might try to uh, you know, get in touch with before the next uh, couple months. It's kind of stirring when you go through the portal and you look at the tackle position and you got to thumb a few times on your screen to get to the first player who's unsigned. Mm-hmm. And it, it goes from, you know, high level players to two star players uh, pretty quickly from there. Like the drop off is pretty severe. It doesn't mean a guard can't play tackle. It doesn't mean that West Virginia doesn't think or know high, more highly of somebody than the, the ranking does too. But you're getting down to players who were just kind of guys in high school and they're transferring because, you know, one reason or another, but it wasn't working out for them at college. So it's hard. I mean, like you said, the, I, I chuckle, but go out and get anybody. I mean, that's not going to work because at some point I wonder if they think, you know what, rather than this, let's try to actually get that defensive end. Uh, you know what, this guy we can get, but he's not going to play ahead of so-and-so at offensive tackle. Um, let's get a nose guard. Let's get a defensive end. So I, I do wonder how that happens. I think you're right, though. They probably got some bad news about now having a sudden third available scholarship and they're going to be a little bit more prudent on that. And I don't think it hurts the weight. Like you're saying, we're at the end of the semester. And I think now that people are graduating and they know that there is going to be football, um, you might see more people jump out and try to go somewhere too. It's going to be a, a cash grab trying to find out who can actually play those. So that'll be interesting to see how that all uh, unravels. We'll know more probably soon. You're listening to this on Wednesday morning. That means that sometime this afternoon, the NCAA's Division One Council is going to vote about letting the on-campus activity moratorium end. That would be May 31st, which means presumably if conferences choose to do so, they could be back on campus as soon as June 1st. This gets into our Gordon Gee, Shane Lyons conversation. West Virginia is involved because of titles and faces and titles of um, people on the campus, but also with the NCAA's infrastructure here too this is going to happen very fast um the council will vote today the sec is supposed to vote friday um the sec is kind of seen as a table setter for what other schools or other programs i should say in different conferences are going to think or do especially if they're in those same states um this might be a totally different story before the end of the week we may have people back on campus within a matter of i don't know 12 days or perhaps even two weeks beyond that yeah, I think I jumped the gun a little earlier asking you about Gordon Gee, but he's he's appeared everywhere. And I I felt like he was I I don't think he was saying anything different a month or so ago, but I just don't recall him being so prominently out in front of all this uh back then. But now he's kind of become the face of it. Uh, you know, he made that comment on the local news station about there would be football even if he has to put on a jersey. And that kind of went viral, and he, instead of backing off of it, he kind of leaned into it and just rode, is is continuing to ride the wave. I, I think I jumped the gun because as I was talking to you, it was literally another story popping up on my um, on my Twitter feed. Uh, are you stop, shocked by this, by, by how he's handling this, how he's getting out there and, and pushing this? Uh, if Gee was going to suit up and play, he would not play cornerback because that dude does not backpedal. <laughs> He would be a fullback going forward, I think, at all times. Or maybe maybe they could play having offensive tackle because he's going to continue to march in this direction, I think. Um, again, not surprised that he is. He's got a lot of clout. Uh, people recognize him. Identity matters in this. He's not dumb. He's been through 
a lot in athletics and academics. So I think that people understand that he's, I think there's, I think there's a kind of a misnomer about Guy that sometimes he says some things that don't necessarily reflect perfectly upon him, but might also not be the perfect reflection of what he's thinking or intends to say at that time. This is different. Um, he's like everybody else there. He's taking the advice of the experts around the athletic department at the university of the state and just kind of going forward. And I think that we're at the point now where everybody does want to see football. And this is a lot. It's not, it's not that it's not scary anymore, but the visuals and the optics that you had in your head six weeks ago are totally different than now. And if you fast forward six weeks from now, it could be a whole lot better too. I'm not saying it's going to continue in this trend, there's certainly a risk with everybody kind of reacclimating into society all at once too, but it's going to have to happen sooner or later. I think what was curious to me was Guy saying that if one player gets sick, you can't shut it all down. Um, I don't know how the country or the community of football is going to react to that because I think there's some split there because if one person has it quite likely, not just that one person has, they probably got it from somebody and who is that person around? Other football players, right? Or the people on campus. So I still think they got to navigate some uncertainty there, but it's not surprising to me that a president or a chancellor is out front doing this because they're the ones that are ultimately going to pull the trigger and let people go back or not go back. Um, and the fact that it's Guy who's comfortable doing TV and radio and interviews and has a good rapport with pretty much everybody he meets, not at all surprising that he's involved in this. It's You got me going down another rabbit hole on this about because that yeah that comment i think that's the only one that he made that i kind of cringed the we're not going to shut the whole thing down if if one person tests positive and i i, I get what i'm not saying. sure there's agreement on that i'm really not <laughs> yeah but it he made that comment and then i saw a story a short time later from oh god what's his name dan dan wolken mm-hmm. usa today right um that you know, with comments like that, this is the time more than ever that players should hold out and unionize. And I thought, oh God, here we go. We're going down. We're going down a big rabbit hole now. Um, I have. That's the first I've heard of anything like pushing that. Right? Have you heard anything along those lines during this? It's it's kind of utopian. Yeah, I think because, again, if you're looking at what's happening in the NBA and MLB, you know they're not back and they're maybe not getting as close to the end as they want to because of some negotiation going on. And you have players who are saying it's not worth it. Uh, you have players who are saying, I don't want to be separated from my family, playing in a bubble for four months. There's opposition to that because they have collective bargaining rights. College players don't have that, you know, and if they get told that they got to be back on campus at a certain time, you know, well, if they don't attend class, they're not going to pass. If they don't pass, they're not going to play. So there, there's like an unspoken pressure to that stuff, too. I do think a lot of them want to play. I, I've not seen anything, though, from student athletes, whether it's individually or collectively, say, this is not safe. We don't like being used as a pawn. Stop trying to make money off our backs. We're the ones who get sick. I haven't seen that yet, which is somewhat surprising. I think there are there's a lot of leadership, and there are student athletes who are involved in these various committees, you know, on the first of all, on the um, division one committee that's going to vote on Wednesday, you have to have two student athlete representatives on the football oversight committee. You have to have two student athlete representatives. So there is representation is two out of 40, for example, enough when it comes to the division one council, probably not. Um, 
is the split enough when it comes to football oversight? Probably not. But there is some mechanism there. I just haven't seen any uprising yet to go toward that. Unionizing is a huge thing. It's not something that can just be thrown out flippantly right now in, in, in this situation. It could be the impetus for unionizing. But remember, Northwestern tried it a couple of years ago. It didn't work. And I think yeah. that student athletes are kind of maybe kind of intimidated from doing that type of work or what it would take to do that type of work. I think they could do it once they got going. It's just a hard process to get that out of your head and put it on paper. And it would take years, too. You yeah, know, many, and, of them would, many of them wouldn't be on campus when it actually happened. And the fact that they're getting name, image, and like this now, that's probably going to get some people to pipe down, too. And I'm with you. I've been you know, following the current players' uh, social media accounts and, and seeing what they're having to say. We're obviously not allowed to talk to them at, at this point in time. But every, I think, feel like every single thing I've seen to a person has been – uh, you know, especially even when Gordon Gee's comments came out about we're playing football this fall, it was player after player saying, you know, that's my president. This is that's what I'm talking about. This is what I want. Let's get to football. Let's go. Let's let's get started. So I I, I think they're all in, you know, screw the union talk and all that stuff. They just want to get back out there and play football. Uh, but I there was. Something I noticed that Neil Brown said, and he emphasized it multiple times in relation to this, that when they come back, that, and I'm, I'm assuming this will be the case everywhere. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard, but he said that when the NCAA or the Big 12, they talk about it, when they let them know when they're allowed to have voluntary returns to football. Yeah. Voluntary, like, okay, is this going to be like, like when I played way back when, um, voluntary workouts, you can voluntarily show up or voluntarily not make the team. Uh, is that what this is going to be? Or do you think it's, it might truly be a situation where some people stay home? It, not the first time I'd heard that either. I think it was Lions a couple weeks earlier had mentioned something similar. And I don't know if it was speaking to us or if I heard him somewhere else talking, but he mentioned voluntary, which is always a weird word when it comes to the NCAA. And then when Brown spoke to us last week, he said the same thing or something similar. But it, it made my ears perk up. And I wondered, one, is that right? Should you let students be able to volunteer um, to come back at a date before they're required to come back? Because if you're not required to come back on June 1st, but you're required to come back on July on June 15th, but you can volunteer to come back on June 1st. Well, how is it safe in one and not the other, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a majority of players would jump at that. So my my suspicion there is that, again, using that June 1 date, if you can voluntarily come back but you're not required, that's there's something there that says we're not requiring them to come back because of an inherent unknown, inherent danger, and inherent worry that we have. Hey, if you want to volunteer to experience that, go ahead. And that strikes me as odd because, again, volunteer is a weird word when it comes to the NCAA. So much so... That, you know, for example, they kind of get in Neil Brown's social media or any head coach's social media. And if you like or comment on a player's individual workouts, that suddenly turns voluntary workouts into a tracked workout, which means they're no longer voluntary and they're kind of mandated. You know, you're getting a reinforcement from the coach. You're getting rewarded from the coach. Well, if you're doing that, but the coach isn't liking or commenting on someone else then you're probably going to have that held against you at some point. And the worry then is that someone is going to work out more or harder and then post his comments to try to get the head coaches to acknowledge that, hey, I'm actually volunteering myself. Look at me, which makes it no longer voluntary. So that was just a strange thing to me. 
And again, I don't know. I don't know if student athletes should have that. And I, I'm all for student athletes having rights, but I'd like them to know when it's right to come back and not when it's right to come back now. But hey, if you want to come back two weeks earlier, that just strikes me as an inconsistent, uneven treatment right there. Yeah, I was curious how it worked because he. I also heard it when Lyon said, and yeah, Neil Brown said it multiple times. He said the words voluntarily. When they say it's okay to voluntarily return to team team, you know, activities, um, I was cu- I was extremely curious how that would work. Like, wh- who's going to show up? Is are there going to be people that won't show up? Because if you don't show up, that is that going to be held against you or or what? Um, strange, strange times. Like, here's how I think that would work. I think you're going to see the Big Twelve folks vote at some point on their spring meetings. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe they're next week and they're virtual. But they might not come to a consensus on, hey, the SEC said June 1st. Let's say June 1st. And some of the presidents might say, no, 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 it's too soon. And then the other side of the room may say, okay, we can deal with that. June 15th, how's that sound? Okay, great. All right, but for your June 15, let us bring our students back to campus on June 1st on a voluntary basis. Because in Morgantown, the gyms are open now. Like you can go to the gym and you can lift weights and you can kick and punch a bag and you can jump rope and you can do ab curls and all sorts of stuff or ab crunches and curls and all sorts of stuff. I don't know how you can tell them they can't come back to town and then they can do stuff in the gym, but they can't do stuff out in a football field together. So I think you're going to have to bend a little bit and things like that. And I think that that might be a concession point. It might give kids some more time. It might give kids some, um, some more insight to look at stuff and say, you know what? Uh, things are going good. I heard from my roommate, my teammate, my classmate, I'm going to go back on June 8th now. And that may work. I don't know. It, it might be a concession. It might be a strategy. But it's it's tricky, too, because if it's not ready and you invite a whole bunch of people in, um, that's that's the potential they don't want to mess with, that something could go bad because they left a little bit of wiggle room in there. Well, we'll find out. Uh, you Did you say what day? Was it, is it Wednesday? To, later today, right, that we're going to find out the answer to or at least – submit a potential date that teams will get back mm-hmm. that's the idea that if they're going to let the moratorium expire on the 31st those 40 individuals will vote on that today and then from there i mean you don't have to come back on june 1st but i think the conferences will make decisions and i think the sec has what 12 states and 11 of them have already said that they'll be back in campus i think i think maybe 10 of the 14 schools have definitely said they'll be back in the fall so that that seems to be like enough to get them back open on June 1st. And then the big 12, I mean, a lot of its states were open as soon as or earlier than some of the SEC states and they had good numbers and good trends. So you might see when the time comes to do that, but there is a bit of an opposition to June 1st, I think, including Lincoln Riley, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I would say Lincoln Riley. uh, Well, should I put on my best Facebook comment voice? Say, why does Lincoln Riley hate America? Why does he hate football? That's what I think. Did That's what like Facebook, Facebook sounds comment? like. Yes, that was good. One piece of breaking news before we go here. Uh, the very mm-hmm. exciting APR numbers are in. Oh, yes. Which really don't mean a whole lot unless you're in trouble. If you're in, if you're in the clear, it's good news, and we just kind of like roll our eyes and go to the next email. But one small thing here, and it, it overlaps a little bit with something I wrote on Tuesday. Bob Huggins, by virtue of his score um 995 i believe yep gets a 20 excuse me a thirty thousand dollar raise incentive i should say not a raise so apr score it's a cumulative scale he clicks all three of the rungs in the ladder his final number 
is above the threshold that sits at the top of that ladder. So basically 10,000, 10,000, 10,000, it's a $30,000 cumulative bonus. We can assume that the collective GPA will also be above the threshold. That's another $10,000 bonus. That is $40,000 of bonuses. Um, can you give that guy that bonus right now? I'm not saying him. Can you give any coach that incentive bonus right now? Mm. I mean, you know me. I'm a by-the-books kind of guy. It's in the contract. It's in the contract. You got to pay up, I think. Um, but we've seen Bob Huggins be generous with these set type of things, and we know um, who knows what might happen with it. Would it be decreased by 10% or 5% or something along those lines? I think that's fair. 5%, right? Or, well, I guess what he, w- he would have qualified for the 10% based on his total salary, but are they going to treat this bonus as separate so it's only 5% of that 50000 or $40,000? Uh, I wish I had asked in the, in the news conference last, where I guess it would have been about what, a week and a half ago, what would you do with the performance bonuses? Because you're going to ring up a lot of them. I mean, football season should have a couple. Um, they actually paid out $0 this past year in bonuses, which is remarkable, but there's a chance that they'll have some. Brown has um, a $20,000 and $30,000 bonus. $20,000 if it reaches one level, $30,000 if it reaches another. So you're talking $70,000 in bonuses right now, and you just cut, you know, $3 million from the budget. I wonder if you can do that. It's a weird thing. I mean, they earned it before this, so they might get it very well. I think more likely next year, bonuses would be suspended. But it leads to a conversation about the financial stuff and the contracts, which is going to be very interesting. This is what I wrote about. Three basketball coaches, their contract expired June 30th. Beginning June, July 1st, all the assistant coaches basically who make $100,000 or more, which is most of the assistant coaches from the major sports, um, they get a 5% pay cut. How do you do a new contract for Larry Harrison, Ron Everhart, and Eric Martin? No idea. What do you think? I don't know. I, I think we've seen it across the industry of hiring freezes and rehiring freezes, but you have to have these assistant coaches in – you know, you noted in your story that Shane Lyons already said that they won't do or, or he didn't say they won't do multi-year contracts, but they'd have to look at that again about about multi-year deals. Uh, so I'm assuming if I were guessing and we have not gotten word that they've actually re-signed these contracts or, or gotten new contracts as are up at the end of June. But I'm thinking it's probably going to be the same salary for one year. And that's really just which is unfortunate for the coaches because, as you noted, they would typically get a a small raise each time. Um, But I think in this this environment, it's going to be hard to promise multi-year deals. It's going to be hard to justify giving a raise. So I'm fully expecting one-year deals for basically the same salary. But even if, wouldn't that salary have to be cut by 5%? Mm. I guess so. Pandora's box. Yeah. It's a I'm bigger glad I don't deal. have to make those decisions. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, I would take the paycheck. I could probably work my way through it. But <laughs> um, The bigger concern is that you have six football coaches whose contracts will expire during this period of the pay raises. The pay raises are a one-year deal optimally right now. No guarantee. But it's definitely from June 1st 
definitely from July 1st to June 30th, 2020 to 2021. So one fiscal year, six coaches get their contracts come up to be either renewed or, you know, they wave goodbye and shake hands. You turn in your keys and your cell phone. How do you bring them back if it's one year at a time? Is it the same salary? I don't think that there's a bunch of flight risks in the staff that is leaving. I think Brown has rapport with a lot of them. It'd be ideal to bring them all back if they're welcome back. If they want to come back, I wonder if it gets into negotiation and someone's going to leave because of the financial situation here. I don't think that's the case. But if you got to go out and hire someone, though, you, you kind of have to stay within the parameters of what the net salary was for the assistant coaches this year. I think it's three point four eight million something along those lines too so you got to be really careful there um and again coaches next year this is kind of the bigger issue you have the four coaches who come back um parker coons dante wright and vic koenig three of those guys are due raises uh, parker is due a twenty five thousand dollar raise and a fifty thousand dollar incentive bonus for just being on the staff so if he's retained if he stays um he gets fifty thousand dollars on top of his twenty five thousand dollar raise uh, Koenig is $25,000. And Jeff Coons, because Ole Miss is paying part of his contract this year, that expires next year. Um, his contract jumps from two hundred dollars to 325000 next year. Again, during this period where you're kind of being really fiscal, financially responsible, I don't know how you give him a $125,000 raise, which, again, is no fault of his. The contract happened before this, but I don't know if that's a reasonable request for him or a reasonable action by the university i have no idea how it's going to work out it's not probably as big of a story as i'm making but i'm extremely curious because they made all these moves to save money and they didn't nearly get themselves out of the hole either yeah it's going to be weird and especially if the football season gets altered as you noted uh in your story the other day that that could bring even more financial impact and, and shane Lyons said that all these changes were being made with the hope that in if there uh that the football season will be played in full with no other financial ramifications. So it could get worse. It could get stickier and, and contracts are going to get a little, um, a little tighter. I think the purse strings are going to tighten up a little bit in the future. I do wish they had done a social media thing when Brandy Maisie, Mike Carey, Bob Huggins and Neil Brown collectively came into Shane Lyons office and volunteered the idea to take a 10% pay cut. <laughs> That'd been good TV, right? It would have. Yes. Put it on Instagram, do everything. Make it like a um, a Patreon. You probably could have raised enough money to at least give them part of their salary back, right? <laughs> I guess so. I told you I can do this job. I, I'm sure you could. You, you've already <laughs> figured out. Hey, you you sound like Shane Lyons right now, finding those new revenue streams that he was talking about. There it is. Thank see. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, no naming rights on this podcast as of yet. Just not the right time, not the right environment, but maybe in the future. In the future, we'll be back. That's all for this time. I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.